Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. My name is Tim Sridharan. Thank you, Lowell, for our reading of scripture. And before we dive into this text, let me just open us in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, come, we thank you for this day. Father, lead us in this time as we spend time in your word. Let your word shape us and transform us. And Holy Spirit, come and show us what you are calling us to and how we are to be faithful uh, and obedient to your call upon our community. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've experienced this before, but have you ever heard someone tell a story and they get to the end of it and you have no clue what the point of the story was. I mean, maybe it happened to you the last time I preached, and if so, I'm sorry about that. We'll try to do better today. But today, when I first read through this text that we're about to study, and I think for many of us, when we first read through the parable of the shrewd manager, we were kind of like, what is this about? Is this even a teaching of Jesus? Yet one of the joys that we have at First Alliance that we love to do is we love to just let the Bible shape us so we don't skip over those tough stories or tough passages. And as I have been reading through this text and praying and thinking and also listening and reading to others wiser than myself, it's been an interesting journey to learn more. Now, as you hear this and if you have questions and you're wondering, how do I deal with all this? You can join us on our Facebook Live event right after the service where we'll continue this discussion about what's going on. And you can even voice your concerns or challenge some of the things I'm saying. So just kind of a quick outline of the parable is that the first eight verses are the story in itself. Verse nine is the point of, is kind of the main point. And verses 10 to 13 are the applications. So join me as I read from Luke chapter 16. I'm gonna read a verse or two at a time, and we're gonna work our way through this difficult and challenging parable to see what God's word has for us. Let me start in the first two verses. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. First thing we have is the audience. We have Jesus speaking to his disciples. But if you look at verse 14, when Jesus is done teaching this parable, we have the Pharisees who love money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. We have to remember that as we read this parable, Jesus is teaching to his disciples, but in the presence of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Now we have two main characters. We have the rich man or the rich master, and then we have this manager who's often referred to as the shrewd manager. We see a manager who's accused of wasting his master's possessions, and the consequence is that he's fired. Now, all signs point to a mismanagement of money rather than fraud. The word, you see the words wasting his possessions in Greek, we see it in chapter 15, verse 13, in the parable of the lost son, where the younger son squanders his the wealth of his father that he's inherited. We probably have a mismanagement of money. We don't know what that means. Maybe that means he took too many risks or entrusted it to the wrong people. Yet at the end of the day, consequence is the same. He's out of a job, he's fired. And for those of us who have lost jobs before, we know how difficult it is. So he banks and he starts to think. 
and let's see the plan that he comes up with. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. The problem, he was probably used to a comfy lifestyle and he's probably realizing I'm gonna lose all my wealth and all my privileges. I don't feel strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. So what do I do? So he comes up with actually what is a great solution to his problem. His goal is to be welcomed into the houses of others. He's going to do favors for others so that when the time comes, he can call upon the return of those favors. This would be like, imagine your neighbor uh, who you kind of like, you volunteer, you just get out there and you shovel their driveway or you mow their lawn for a few weeks and say, you know, I just like to bless you. I like to just take care of you. Let me just do this for you in your head all the while you've been thinking, hey, when I go on vacation in one month, I can just ask him to repay me for this by cutting my lawn. So this shrewd manager is thinking, what can I do for others so that they can bless me later on, providing me with employment and money, opportunities and wealth? And quite frankly, the scam that he comes up with, it's kind of brilliant. Let's read in verse five. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The master told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. Wow, like this is some serious, serious generosity. He called in each one of his master's debtors and other translations make this clear. He calls in each of his master's debtors one by one. This means that he might have done, we only have two people that he talked to in this passage, but he might have had this conversation with 10, 20, or even a greater number of people. And the totals that are being talked about here are huge. Three years of oil, with three years wages of oil, we're talking about eight years wages of wheat. Even people in the COVID pandemic did not store up eight years wages of wheat in their own house to survive. And not only are these huge amounts, he's discounting them at between 20 to 50% off. Imagine showing up at your bank one day and the bank manager runs up to you and says, hey, you have that line of credit, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, it's 20,000? Yep. How about we just lower it to 10,000? Or you got school debt at 30 grand? No problem, let's drop it down to 15,000. You got a $300,000 mortgage? No problem, let's just shrink it down to 200,000. Sound fine? We'll keep you at the same rate and same schedule of payment and everything else. You wouldn't bat an eye, you totally would sign that contract and be so delighted and thankful as that bank manager for offering you the craziest deal you've ever heard of. When you hear that phrase, take your bill, the manager isn't asking them to pay up, but what he's doing is rewriting the contract to a lower amount, which isn't something actually uncommon in the ancient Near East. This would often happen because you know, of a poor crop or bad weather, contracts would be rewritten. But in some senses, the customer wouldn't care. They would have been delighted at the generosity and the provision made by the shrewd manager on behalf of his rich master. Here's the brilliance. The master is trapped. 
he has all these customers who are so thankful and delighted in him for helping them out in this difficult season of business. And right now they love him. He can't go back and try to claim that money. Imagine going to the store at like Rogers or like a Bell store and you, they have the new iPhone for $1,000, but they're like, you sign this contract, we'll give you this outright, no, all, just for, like, we'll give it to you for $500. You wouldn't bat an eye. You'd be like, that's amazing. Thank you so much. You sign your deal and you'd walk away. Now imagine being the owner of the store, finding that out and going around door to door knocking, you know, we made a mistake. Would you be willing to pay that $500 back? I know you have it in writing. You tell them, no way, man. I got this phone. I paid 500 bucks for it. It's a fair deal. Now get out of here. That's what most people would do. And that's why the rich master can't go back to his own customers. Not only can he not go back to his own customers, he can't take anyone to court because oddly, there's nothing illegal here. The shrewd manager had signing power. And he can't go after the manager to get money back because the manager smartly didn't earn a single penny off this weird, weird deal. The shrewd manager used the rich master's money to gain himself several friends who will welcome him into their homes and provide for his future. It's kind of a brilliant scam. I don't recommend you do it, just to be clear about that. Imagine this, imagine that bank manager or this shrewd manager after helping you out in such an amazing way showing up at your door and asking for a glass of water? I don't doubt for a second you'd break all COVID-19 protocols, invite him into your house and serve him the best bottle of wine that you had. You know, if I was that rich master, I would have been furious and angry. I'd just have been taken. But look at his reaction. Let's read verses eight and nine. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The master, realizing what happened, kind of just puts his hands up and says, well done, man, you got me, well played. And he praises him for his shrewdness. Now. We have to resist the urge to do two things. We have to resist the urge to see this shrewd manager as kind of a Robin Hood figure, a noble figure who's taking from the wealthy and giving to the poor. Why? Because he doesn't care about the poor. He only cares about himself. It's purely selfish. We also have to be careful to realize that the rich master isn't praising the manager for being dishonest or for being a cheat. It's for one thing and one thing only for being shrewd. Now, shrewd is something like an athlete who exaggerates fouls for the benefit of his team. Our parents who fudge the lines and sidestep procedures to get their kids into the best schools. And let's be really clear. Jesus, through this parable, is not teaching people to lie or cheat or be ruthless. He just wants them to be shrewd, but shrewd for the right reason and for the right things. Here's the main point. The manager's goal was to use money to be welcomed into people's houses, to provide for his earthly future and his retirement. What Jesus is teaching is for us to use our earthly and worldly wealth, which will run out, to be welcomed into eternal houses and dwellings. 
Let's read verse 9 again. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. If there is a life beyond this life, an eternal destiny for all humankind, Jesus is calling us to be shrewd and do whatever we can to acquire it. And this fits into the one story of scripture, the story that brings the whole Bible together. For you see, in the beginning, God created the world and created humankind in his image. Yet when we chose to do our own thing, which is what the Bible calls sin, we were separated from God. Yet God in his great love sent Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that those who put their trust in Jesus will experience a reconciliation in their relationship with God and be gifted with eternal life. See, the scriptures teach that there is an eternal destiny for all and those who put their trust in Christ will enjoy God forever and those who do not will be eternally separated from him. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the value of eternity and how it is the ultimate goal worth pursuing. Jesus is showing the Pharisees that their love of money has limits because it lacks an eternal focus. Jesus is calling us to be shrewd in pursuing eternal life with the creator of the universe. And it's clearly demonstrated in how we view money. A few things from verse nine before we move on. Money is a means to an end. Money doesn't last. And be shrewd with your money to gain what is eternal. Money is a means to an end. I remember reading uh, one person who was on the Forbes rich list said they would always look up to the person who had more money than them, and that would be their new life goal, their target to chase them down and pass them on the rich list. The problem is they confused money as an ends. What they were really chasing was prestige or honor or respect from others. Some of us use money as a means to another end, to comfort and security. Not only is money a means to an end, we all know this, money doesn't last. When you die, your money doesn't go with you. There's cultures that put money in the graves of people when they die. Yet the reality is, that's it. When we die, our money's value is no longer valuable to us. Finally, be shrewd with your money to gain what is eternal. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is saying, he's not saying, you cannot use your money to buy your way into heaven. Salvation comes through faith alone, comes through confessing and placing our trust in Jesus. But Jesus is challenging us to consider what our priorities are. If we focused or just focused on our earthly well-being, we miss the big picture. Then Jesus proceeds to continue to teach about how money sometimes can be the biggest hindrance in our pursuit of what is eternal and of true value. Let's read in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. The word trusted here can be translated as faithful, and it's a general principle. Those who are faithful with little are entrusted with more. This is often, or this is why you should, or the means of how you gain promotions at work. And if you think about it, even criminal organizations adhere to this principle. If you're faithful in a little, you're included in more and you're entrusted with more. Verse 11 continues. 
So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True riches are not earthly riches. If this was the case, and if this is the case, don't put your hope in those earthly riches. Use those earthly riches in whatever way you can to acquire what is real and what is eternal. Verse 12 continues, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I love this. In here, there's a big assumption that many of us have about wealth, and I have completely, is that we often think about money as our own, but it's not. Money, just like everything else in life, is a gift that God gives us. Theologically, we don't own our own homes. We don't have our own retirement savings. It's all God's, and it's bored because it doesn't go with us to eternity. If I'm honest, I think about money as my own. The older I get, the less generous I find myself. The more I find myself thinking of the future, my future, my family, and less concerned with others and God's work in this world, sadly. So recognize that as I ask these questions, I'm asking them humbly because I'm actually asking them to myself. Do you use money for things that will fade away when you die or for things that will last? When you get extra money, do you invest it in people hearing about Jesus and the good news, caring for the marginalized, for justice causes that bring God glory? Or is it more about caring only for yourself? I like this question. When you come into money, do you first give to yourself or do you give to what is eternal? Do you treat the gifts God has given you, whether that's your house, your car, your bank account, or even your ability to earn money as your own, or do you steward and take care of it as if it's someone else's? I just want to be clear. Money is not evil. Money is a good thing. Money is a gift from God. And there is wisdom in saving and investing. There is wisdom in putting away to your retirement. We aren't called to be irresponsible and just give all our money away and forget about our own needs and responsibilities. The question really being asked here is this. What is our priority? Do we invest in what will fade away? Or are we investing in what will last forever? Let's read the final verse, verse 13, which will sound to many like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When I heard this, that verse, it immediately takes me to Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. The word here for money is mammon. We see this in verse 9, 11, and 13. And he's making the point, you cannot serve both God and mammon. We are called to make a choice. We have to pledge who our allegiance is to. And if you're saying that you are able to serve both, the Bible is saying that you're actually not serving God then. You see, money is a great tool, but it is a horrible master. So here are another couple of questions to think through. If you are new to the faith, have you ever made a choice to repent and turn to God, to pledge allegiance to him over anything else? 
Have you ever considered beginning this adventure of a life with him and letting his story reshape your story? It's something that you won't regret. For the rest of us, have you noticed the pull of money draw you away from God? Have you seen your heart growing cold to the things that he delights in and more focused upon the things you think money gets you? You see, the manager, when he was fired, panicked and turned inward and trusted his own wisdom to provide for his future. He was shrewd, but shrewd not for the things that would last. When we, the church, are shrewd and focused upon eternity, what happens is that we invest in what matters, in reaching the unreached, caring for those on the margin, welcoming refugees, fighting for racial equality, caring for the unborn, and the kingdom of God, the only hope for the world, continues to break into this earth as we continue to pray, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.